Lord, that is our desire that you would transform us, Lord, and conform us more into your image. You know, Lord, that without you, we can do absolutely nothing. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your spirit would be our teacher. Give each and every one of us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. We thank you and praise you again for your love and your grace. I thank you for each person who is here, that we're all here by divine appointment. Minister to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. You'll need one. Read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie, right? Amen. We're at church. We read the Bible here. Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, raise your hand. We'll get you one. Romans chapter 8. And... We'll see how far we get through this this morning. I'm prepared to teach the whole thing, but I'll tell you, this is an incredible chapter, and there's a lot in it, but, you know, we'll see what God wants to do. Now, I want to just catch you up real briefly. I'm not going to take a lot of time because this is a thick chapter, but in the, book, in the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, and in the Gospels is where we see the, the life of Jesus Christ, how He was born, how He lived, how He died, how He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We get to the book of Acts, and in Acts we see the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Acts of the first century church. The first century church begins to explode, and it's because the Holy Spirit is upon them in a mighty and a powerful way. We then come to Romans, which is an epistle or a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Rome, a church that he had never visited, a church that was growing, a church that was exploding, but a church that was also in a very godless place, much like Santa Cruz. And as he wrote this letter, we see the doctrines, the, under, the, the biblical truth that's in the book of Romans is greater than probably any other book in the Bible. Now, we saw in the first three chapters, he talked about the doctrine of sin. If you've been here once, you already know this, but you're all sinners. Amen? And the doctrine of sin is that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Sin is an archery term. It's separation from perfection. The distance from the bullseye to where your arrow lands is called the sin distance. And whether you are, you know, Mother Teresa and you miss it by a foot, or you're Charles Manson or Osama Bin Laden and you miss it by 500 miles, you've missed the mark and we are sinners. And we cannot enter into heaven because of our sin. If God had one sin in heaven, He'd have earth part two. Amen? So we see the doctrine of sin in the first three chapters, then we moved on and we looked at the doctrine of salvation. So we are all sinners, that's the problem that we've got, so what's the solution? And we saw in chapters 3, 4, and 5 that... The doctrine of salvation, and another word for it is justification. And if you'll remember, just as if you never sinned. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, though we've got this sin problem, it's just as if we've never sinned. Our sin has been wiped away, separated as far as the east is from the west. Then we got to chapter 6 and began to look at the doctrine of sanctification. Not only Christ living, uh, dying for me, justification, but Christ living in me, sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart unto God. Not just having a relationship because of His blood and we're born again, but now living a life for Him. Having the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Being set apart to serve Him with my whole heart. Now in the last two chapters, we we looked in Romans chapter 6 and 7, heavily looking at two different extremes in the church. The first one was license. Romans chapter 6 talks about cheap grace, where people have the the connotation that, hey, I got my get out of hell free card, I put it in my wallet, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, and I can live like the world, and I'll still go to heaven. And the reality is that, again, it's true that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And it is by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And we need to understand it's not do, 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 but it's done. Amen? It's not go out and do a bunch of works to prove to God you love Him. It is finished. That's what He said on the cross. But we also need to understand that if we've truly been born again, that we will desire to walk in holiness. And we will desire to serve Him with our whole heart. So in Romans chapter 6, we saw that one extreme called license. Or, you know, cheap grace. Then in chapter 7, we saw the opposite extreme, and that's legalism. Where people think, well, yeah, you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer and you gave your life to God, but now you must walk in perfection or God will not be pleased with you. And I want you to, and we talked about this last week, the title of the message last week, encourage you to get the tape, they're always free if you weren't here, but the title of the message was, It's Not How, It's Who. It's not how are we saved, it's not what must we do, it's not what plans must we keep, and it's not, not how do we become more holy and how do we serve God better, but it's who. And when we ended, that, I want you to see the last few verses here of Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. This is Paul speaking, one of the most religious men of the day, one of those mighty men of God that ever lived on this planet, but a sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of us. And what does he say about himself as the more he understands the Word and studies to know God better? He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? And that's the right question. It's not what will deliver me. It's not how will I be delivered. It's who will deliver me. If you're here today, maybe it's your first time, or maybe you know, you've gone to church for a while, understand it's not a program. It's not 12 steps to salvation. It's not keeping a plan. It's not a method. It's not joining an organization. It's not how, it's who. Who is it that can bring you into salvation? Who is it that can take a wretched man like me and transform me into a new creation and make me holy before Almighty God? And he answers the question in verse 25 of chapter 7. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we talked about last week, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? You can't get there through Muhammad or Buddha or Hare Krishna or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or Charles Taze Russell or... You know, you know, it's not about joining an organization. You must have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And so we've seen, as we come to chapter 8, that it's not how, it's who. That we need to understand the grace of God. It's not do, do, do. It's done. But I want us to see, as we get to chapter 8, we're going to talk about the fact that as believers in Christ, we have been set free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. As Christians, we don't have to walk around with a wheelbarrow full of rules and a black robe with heaven at the end. We don't have to walk around looking like we've been sucking on a lemon, you know, I'm a Christian, I've got to suffer for God. That's not what it's about, guys. I want us to understand the freedom that we have in Christ. And if we get through the whole chapter today, which we may or may not, we'll get to the rest of it next week if we don't. That's the great thing about being at Calvary Chapel. We just pick up where we left off anyway, right? But if we have time, here's what we're going to see either today or over the next two weeks. We're going to first see how we've been set free from our past. The things that are behind us. You know, people struggle with depression and worry and anxiety and fear. And typically there's three reasons why. Three things that happen as I counsel people. It's either they're burdened about things that have happened in the past. They're struggling with things that are happening right now, or they're anxious about what's going to happen in the future. Romans chapter 8 is your chapter if you struggle with any of that. Because we're going to see first that our past has been redeemed. Then we're going to see that all things work together for good for those who trust in God are called according to His purpose. Our present is taken care of as well. 
No matter what trials you're going through, God's in control. And then lastly, we're going to see that our future is assured, that we have hope going forward. If God is for us, who can be against us? Great chapter, Romans chapter 8. So, again, I can think of a few passages in Scripture that have more to it. But just remember, again, the first part will be, again, concerning the past. Then we'll talk about the present. And then finally, we'll finish up with the future. If your past is haunted, you're anxious about your future, or weighed down by the present, this is a great message for you. So the first thing we're going to see is in dealing with the past. And I want you to see that as we go through this chapter, it's all about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Again, remember, sanctification, being set apart unto God, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we've been born again, now what? Now we're walking with the Lord. And we're new creations in Him, and we're filled with the Spirit. So first we're going to see being indwelt by the Spirit, that we're no longer condemned. Then we're going to see that as we're led by the Spirit, that we become sons and daughters of God. And then finally, we're going to see in dealing with the future, the promise of God's incredible and everlasting love that nothing can ever separate us from Him. So let's begin in verse 1, in dealing with the past, indwelt by the Spirit, we're no longer condemned. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know, prior to Jesus coming, it says from the time of Adam and from the time of Moses all the way until the time of Christ, that man was under the law. And because he was under the law, death reigned. Death reigned because the law cannot save us as we've talked about. The law reveals sin. Law is not a method of salvation. Sadly, there's a lot of people out there today that think, if I can just keep all of the laws, then I'll go to heaven. Well, here's the reality. If you could keep all the laws, you would go to heaven, but you can't. Amen? And if you break one, you've broken them all, and it's too late. Right? And you were born with a sin nature. And so we cannot keep the law. And as I've said many times before, the law is a mirror that reveals our sin. You put that mirror of the law up and you see clearly that you have blemishes. You see clearly that you've fallen short. You do not remove the mirror and begin to wipe your face where the blemishes are. The law cannot save you. It reveals your need for a Savior. But sadly, because people thought that the law was the answer, people walked around condemned. Oh man, I can't keep it. I'm going to try harder, God. I'm going to get up earlier and and read my Bible 16 hours a day, and I'm going to prove that I love you. And and Lord, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to keep this incredible schedule to prove that I love you, Lord. You know what, guys? You don't become righteous and, and strive so that God will love you. You fall in love with the Lord, and then you start to walk in righteousness. Amen? You seek Him first. You cannot minister for the Lord if you're not ministering to the Lord. As you fall in love with Him, it'll be a natural outpouring. It won't be this striving in the flesh to do things. Because if you do, I promise you, you will fail. You may make it a week or two or a month, but eventually you're going to blow it, and then you're going to be condemned. And this verse is for those who struggle with the things in their past as well. You know, my past, pastor, you don't understand the things that I've done. I've blown it. I mean, if, if I told you what I've done, you'd probably throw me out of here. You know, here's the good news, you guys. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? You cannot sin so much that God will not forgive you. The only way God will not forgive you is if you do not ask Him for forgiveness. And you know what? Too often people are condemned because they're trying and striving in their flesh. But look what it says here. There is now no condemnation to those who are in what? 
in Christ Jesus. Not those who are in the church, not those who are keeping the law, not those who are in good membership and standing, but those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're condemned, you need to be in Christ. If you're feeling condemned about your past, understand that He has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, if you will simply ask Him. There is no condemnation. The word in Greek means there is no adverse sentence. There's no verdict. Again, the verse doesn't say no mistakes, no failures, no resulting, but no resulting judgment. And I love that. How we deliver from the, the judgment that we deserve, is it by good works? Is it by keeping the law? No, it's by being in Christ. When you were born, you were born in Adam. Okay, we were all born physically. And when we were born physically, we were born in Adam. He's, we're all related to him. And we were born in sin. And when we are born again, we're born into the kingdom of God. And now we are in Christ. So, if you're in Adam, there's condemnation. If you're in Adam, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you're in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So if you're struggling with your past, guys, you don't have to go to a counselor or a psychologist or anybody and sit down and and dredge up everything you ever struggled with in your past for the next 900 sessions. You know, that's what they want to do. Go back and do, you know what? The Bible says that we press onward to the upward calling in Christ Jesus, leaving those things which are behind. Amen? You've been forgiven. He's forgotten it. Why do you need to talk about it? Amen? And so understand first that if you're struggling with the past, there is now no condemnation, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, your past is taken care of. Amen? Your sins have been forgiven and praise God for that. What a great and awesome God we serve. We've been justified freely by His grace through the redeeming work of the cross. Again, just as if I've never sinned. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Again, we were born into sin, and through the work of the cross, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. The results are in, you've heard me say it, one out of every one person dies, right? Why do people die? Because of sin. When Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, had they not sinned, they would have never died. Plants weren't dying, animals weren't dying, nothing died. They sinned and death came. And the same is true of us. But we've been set free, and the word for death here is spiritual death. If we are in Christ, guess what? We are not going to taste spiritual death. We've been made alive in Christ, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when we die, Christians die well, it's just moving day. Amen? You close your eyes here and you open them up in glory and it doesn't get any better than that. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be anxious about because we are new creations in Him and we are walking in the Spirit of the living God. No longer bound by the law. No longer bound by sin. The law reveals sin. Sin produces death. But again, if we've been born again, it says there we've been set free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. What the law could not do. What is it the law can't do? The law cannot save you. The law cannot free you. The law cannot make you righteous. The law cannot make you holy. The law cannot give you right standing before God. So what the law could not do, Jesus came and did. 
And that's what this verse clearly says, that he sent his own son and he took on humanity. And as he took on humanity, he was in always tempted like you and I are and yet without sin. He's perfect, holy God. He was 100% man and 100% God. And he took all of our sin on himself and he went to the cross and suffered and died in our place. The law couldn't do it and Jesus did it. Amen? So the law cannot save us. It's not keeping more of the law that you and I need. It's falling more in love with Jesus that you and I need. Amen? And as we do, all the other stuff will be a natural outflowing of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now here's the fruit. The fruit of walking in Christ is that we do not walk according to the flesh. Well, Pastor Dave, didn't you just tell me it's done? It's not do, do, do. It's not a bunch of works. Now it says we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Doesn't that sound like works? No. Because as the Spirit of the living God dwells in us, it's a natural outpouring in our everyday life. You know what? You begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates when you spend time in His presence. And serving God is not a no-fun bummer. And it's not a bunch of rules and regulations. We need to understand God's grace. He loves you so very much. And as He loves you and His Spirit comes to live inside of you, as you walk with Him, living a, a holy life is a natural outpouring. It's not you striving in your flesh to make it happen. It's natural. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The result, again, of walking in Christ is a sanctified or set-apart life, not in the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit in us. A Spirit-filled Christian is led as he yields to the Lord and experiences the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Man is a three-part being. When we were born in our physical bodies, it's our body is in charge or our flesh, however you want to term that. You have your flesh, your mind or your soul, and the spirit. And what's in charge? The flesh. The flesh says, feed me. The flesh says, take care of my needs. And the flesh is the one that's in charge. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ... Instead of the flesh being in charge and the mind being consumed with the things of the flesh and the spirit following the flesh, as new creations, it's flipped upside down. And now the spirit is what leads us. And our mind is on the things of the spirit and the flesh is under uh, subjection to the spirit. So it says here in this verse that to be carnally minded is death. And again, before we came to know Christ, it was all about our flesh. All we thought about was, you know, Feeding my needs, taking care of me, satisfying me, my pleasures, my will, my desires. Now, as Christians, do we sometimes struggle with that? What's the answer? Remember, lines of sin, so there's some yeses up in here, right? Here's the reality. We do still struggle, but here's the difference. As new creations in Christ, and now that the Spirit is the one is leading and guiding and directing our lives, when we allow the flesh to take charge, we're convicted. When the, when the flesh rises up, we're broken over our sin. Where before we were, we were born again, we lived in sin and it didn't bother us a bit. It was all good. 
How much more of it can we have? And then when you became a new creation in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to do two things, to comfort you, but also to convict you. Because He loves you. And he knows what's best for you. So He will convict you of your sins. So the carnal man pursues the things of the flesh, but the spiritual man pursues the things of the Spirit. Again, the carnal man is focused on the appetites of the flesh, what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, walking after the flesh, the mind controlled by the flesh. But when we're born again, the Spirit is in charge. Our mind is controlled by the Spirit. Our thoughts, our focus, our passions are on the things of God. You know, it's interesting. The world we live in today thinks they're real smart, right? Science. Well, we're scientists. Well, you know, God created science, okay? Right? Amen? And the reality is that scientists think they're really smart, but you know, the, the things that they believe in are the biggest travesty on the planet. They have a greater amount of faith than we could ever think about, because to believe that lightning hit a puddle and a thing crawled out and scratched a freckle on its arm and grew an arm, started flying around, now it's you, takes a lot of faith, amen? And if you think a baboon is your great-great-grandmother, you've got problems, right? And the reality is that people believe stuff that scientifically is impossible. The law of biogenesis dismisses it. You can't go from unliving matter to living matter the law of thermodynamics you can't go from disorder to order it's impossible and people believe it because they'd rather believe that than trust in god but notice that it's had an impact on the world because they're carnally minded and so they believe that they came from an animal so they act like it amen the world acts like animals they look around and live like the baboons and live like the world and it's all good because I'm just an animal anyway. And we teach our kids that they you know, came from apes and we're surprised when they act like it. We need, to understand, we need to understand that we need to have a spiritual focus, amen? To be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is separation from God. And you know what? We can't be watering it down anymore, Amen? We can't be dialing it down, watering it down. Today, you know what? Today's a day of salvation. People all over Santa Cruz County need Jesus, amen? And then we need to deliver it in love, absolutely. But let's quit trying to be politically correct. People are coming out of the closet for all kinds of stuff. We need to start coming out of the closet for Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead, amen? And not being ashamed of Him. And so to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life. And praise God that you and I have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within us. Verse 7. Chapter 8 rocks, huh? Good stuff. Now look what it says here about the carnal mind. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So the carnal mind is the enemy or has hostility or hatred or is at war with God. The carnal mind is at war with God. Evolution is at war with God. The pursuit of physical pleasure is at war with God. The desire for the things of this world is at war with God. Why is it that we as Christians, when we allow carnality into our lives, we struggle and we have a, a hard time in our fellowship with the Lord because carnality is at war with God. Again, it's not good works and striving to please God, but it's a natural outflowing of that transformed life. Look what it says. So, so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wait a minute, that's pretty narrow. So what you're telling me is somebody who's not born again, if they go out and you know, give to charities all day long and you know, sacrifice their lives and go down to some foreign country and, you know, and serve and minister, that that doesn't please God? The answer is no, it doesn't. 
Because what are you doing is you're feeding the things which are perishing, but people are dying without the Lord. And what people need, again, while we should minister to their physical needs, people don't need physical food as much as they need spiritual food. And people don't need a house built for them as much as they need to know that they can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And while we should feed them physically and we can build houses for them, if we leave them without the hope that lies within them, we've done them no good. We don't leave them with the cross of Christ and the truth of what He has done for us. And so being carnal is you cannot please God. And boy, people struggle with that. But boy, you know, I, you know I'm a good person. There's none righteous, no, not one. No, you're not good. Amen? You're not good. I'm not good. Only He's good. Amen? And because He's good, we can be made righteous. But I'm not good because of my works. I'm the chief of sinners. That's what Paul said. And he was one of the most righteous men who ever lived. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. Okay. Now, so you must have the Holy Spirit living inside of you or you are not born again and you're not going to heaven and you're not a Christian. Amen? But wait a minute. I've been going to church since I was three. That's great. God bless you. I hope you've learned something. Amen? But here's the reality. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than jumping in the ocean makes you a fish or parking in a garage, make, you know, standing in a garage makes you a car or whatever analogy you want to use. It's not about joining a club. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are with Christ. And the Spirit must be living inside of you or you've not been born again. You're still spiritually dead. But what if I'm a, you know, a, a really good Muslim? No such thing. Okay? You can't be. Now, do we love the Muslims? Yes. Do we pray for them? Yes. Did Jesus die on the cross for them? Absolutely. Should we be sharing our faith with them? Without a doubt. Amen? But guess what? You can't get to heaven through Muhammad because the Holy Spirit's not going to come into your life because Muhammad didn't die on the cross for you. And Muhammad can't forgive your sin either. And so we must have the Spirit of the, of the, of the living God living inside of us or we are not born again and we're not going to heaven. Now, here's the good news, guys. All we have to simply do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we will be what? Saved. Saved. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. It's not a 500-step program. You don't have to join anything. You don't have to fulfill a bunch of rules. You have to simply understand you're a sinner and ask for Jesus to be your Savior, and He promises that He will be. And then His Spirit comes to live inside of you. The down payment on heaven, I like to call it. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on heaven. It's letting you know that you belong to the Lord. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Man, I love this. The body is dead. You know what? I said this last week. All of you probably took a shower in the last few days, and if you haven't, you need to. Amen? But here's the reality. Our body is dead. Isn't it? It stinketh. Right? I mean, open up your cup. What do you got in there? You got, you got shampoo and soap and underarm deodorant and all this stuff. And you got to put all this stuff on your body because your body's dead. And it's dying and it's falling apart. But praise God, this dead tent isn't going with us. Amen? The part of us that's alive is the spirit that's within us. The body is dead. The body is passing away. It's dying. It's been corrupted by sin. But our spirit is alive in Christ. And again... No spirit in you, no salvation. But if you've been born again, the Spirit of the living God dwells within you. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you in your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. As Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, so too are you and I made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our old nature is crucified. We live now according to a new nature. We walk according to the Spirit of the living God. No longer following the flesh, but following the Spirit. No longer born under Adam, but in Christ. No longer, you know, dead in our trespasses and sins, but new creations in Him. So number one, in dwelling with the past, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and those things that have happened in the past, He's forgiven. He's separated them as far as the east is from the west, and you should have joy and not worry and not guilt and not condemnation because He paid the price for you, and He loves you, and you're forgiven. Amen? And so if you're here today and you feel condemned, don't. And if you, still, if you feel condemned because you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are condemned, but we can fix that before you leave here today. Amen? And it's as simple as praying and asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And you can know that you know that you know that you're heaven-bound, as DC Talk would say. Now, in dealing with the present, let's move on. Verse 12. So we looked at the past. What about the present? We'll talk about being led by the Spirit, and as we're led by the Spirit, that we become children of God. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. I don't owe my old nature anything. That's what this says. What do I owe my flesh? Nothing. By the way, what does the flesh want you to do? Feed it. And by the way, you do not satisfy the flesh by feeding it. Your flesh will never be satisfied. If you feed it, it will only grow stronger. Amen? You need to put the flesh on a starvation diet. Amen? Don't feed the flesh. Starve it. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, you got the spiritual tiger and the fleshly tiger living inside of you, battling every single day for control. And which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. If you feed yourself spiritually, if you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're listening to worship music, you surround yourself with other Christians, when temptation comes, it's easy to overcome it. Why? Because you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. But if you've spent no time with the Lord and you've been watching garbage on TV and listening to stuff and hanging out with people at work that are talking about garbage, and before you know it, you've fallen right into that trap. You ever notice that? Bad company corrupts good morals. But God has called us, again, that we owe the flesh nothing. We're not to live according to the flesh. But if we live according to the flesh, you will die, it says. Again, we're not to feed it. We are to destroy it. Who will deliver me from the deeds of the flesh? Me trying harder. Me doing better. Got to write down some rules and be accountable for them, right? If I just write down a list of rules, okay, I'm going to do all these things, and now if I don't, then I have to eat liver, right? Whatever, right? You know, I'm going to do something, and then I'm going to keep the... Guys, you're going to fail. You're going to fail because you're doing it in the flesh. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to fall in love with you, I'm going to pursue you with my whole heart, and then walking in holiness is a natural outpouring of that. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You want a life that reflects righteousness? Pray and ask God to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Ooh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, weebie-jeebies, right? No. Understand that we have three relationships with the Holy Spirit. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. We've talked about this. He's with the world. They call him their conscience. How does the world know that sin is sin? They wouldn't have no clue that there's wrong or right if the Holy Spirit were not with them. 
Now, they're not saved, but the Holy Spirit is with them, so they have some understanding of right and wrong. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. No longer with you, in you. Down payment on heaven, ownership papers, you belong to God. But the Bible talks about something subsequent to that that we saw in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit coming upon you. The word therefore upon is overflowing, and it pours out on all those around you. And I'll tell you, if you want to walk in holiness and righteousness, the Holy Spirit must be upon you. Amen? And how do you get the Holy Spirit upon you? You don't tarry, you don't wait, you don't speak, you know. No, you just ask. The Bible says ask, and He will freely give it to you. Does the Lord want you to have more of Him dwelling within you? Of course He does. So do you think if you ask, you're going to say, oh, no. You're going to have to wait a while. Stand around. Chant something. Do something. Prove to me you really want... No, that's not our God. Amen? That's not our God. He says, you ask and He will give it to you. Now, now you might say, well, I, I prayed that once, so I need to ask again. Pastor Don and San Jose used to say, I pray for it daily. And they said, why? He said, because I leak. Right? <laughs> the reality is, I want to continue to ask, Lord, baptize me afresh in your Holy Spirit. Take not your Holy... You know, pour out your Spirit upon me that I might be a conduit for your Spirit to spill out on those around me again but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh you will live verse 14 for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god now this is awesome not only does he save us not only did he die for us not only did he give us his holy spirit but as you'll see in ephesians chapter 1 he also has adopted us into his family that means we're his kids god's my dad man i like that Amen? Some of you, maybe you come from a broken home and you didn't really have a, a great dad. You know what? If you're a Christian, you've got a great dad now. Amen? And he loves you. And we're going to see in a little bit, the word for dad is Abba, Daddy. When we were in Israel, we saw little kids running around going, Abba, Abba, chasing their dad around. And the reality is, in the Bible, we call him Abba, Daddy. And Daddy's never far away. And Daddy's somebody whose lap we can crawl into, and he loves us. And you know what? As we are led by the Spirit, as we're filled with the Spirit, we are His children. We've been adopted into His family. Man, that's awesome. All this in heaven too. We get to know Him now. It says in Psalm 37, if we love the Lord, the Spirit will change the desires of our heart and conform them to His will. As we fall in love with the Lord, He transforms our heart. He adopts us into His family. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So we did not receive a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. As Christians, what do we have to be afraid of? The answer is nothing. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and joy and a sound mind. We don't have to be afraid. Are we afraid sometimes? Yes. Why do we get afraid? Because we lack faith. We stop trusting God. We start getting worried about our situation, so we get afraid, right? Our kids go out and they're not home on time right? Cool, right? And the reality is, maybe a swat's in order when they get home, but we still need to trust God that He's faithful, amen? There's no, again, there, we're, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And what I love about adoption, it's true even today, when you've been adopted, you cannot be disowned. You can disown your, your child that's been born of your, you know, naturally, but you cannot disown an adopted child, and I love that, because you and I have been adopted and you know what? No one's ever going to snatch us out of his hand, the Bible says. Amen? We belong to him. We're his kids. And no one's ever 
going to snatch us away from Him. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. I love this again. The Spirit Himself bears witness that we are His children. And because we are His children, we are, His, we are joint heirs with Christ. Which means that we have a heavenly inheritance coming. Now, do we deserve it? Do you earn an inheritance? No. It's given to you, why? By birth. And you know what? Our heavenly inheritance is given to us by rebirth. Because we've been born again. And so we have the promise of heaven. And we are joint heirs with Christ. But notice here also that what does happen is as we are are God's children and joint heirs with Him, we also will suffer affliction. And this is the part people don't like. Well, Pastor Dave, you've been pretty good so far. I like what you've been telling me. This has been good, right? No condemnation, new creation in Christ, going to heaven, you know, spirit lives within me. This is great. Suffering affliction, why do we got to talk about that, right? Well, it says in Hebrews 11 that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Here's what we need to understand, that as we're led by the Spirit, we become the sons of God and daughters of God, but guess what else? God also gives us an eternal perspective. And when we have an eternal perspective, we're not afraid of, a, of worldly affliction if it's going to do eternal good. Amen? You know, when we start putting the Spirit first, and our body is dead last on the list, our flesh is last, We're not so consumed with how comfortable we are anymore. We're not so consumed with how popular we are before men. We're not consumed with how big of a house we have anymore. What starts being important is our relationship with God first and foremost. And then when we suffer affliction, what are we really suffering? We're suffering on that part of us which is finite so that there might be more glory in the infinite, that greater things might happen. Look at the next verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now we're going to see here again this this fruit of the Spirit in dealing with the present. Seeing suffering as an opportunity for the ministry. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know what? When we go through difficulty, you guys, it's an opportunity for the gospel. You know, people know you're a Christian. And it's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven. But how do you respond when things get rough? People are watching. And to understand that this light affliction will mean great things for eternity is a blessing. And you know what it does? It helps us not panic about the present anymore. It helps us to put all of it into God's hands and to know that He's faithful and that He's in control. And for us not to be fearful and worried. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is being able to see with an eternal perspective in the midst of great uh, temporal difficulty. Our present suffering cannot be compared with the glory to come. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Even creation eagerly awaits the glory and restoration that is to come. And you know what? It's coming. Amen? It's coming. And when it does come, again, even creation is eagerly awaiting. Verse 20 to 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For that we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. When Adam fell, the entire creation suffered. 
There were no thorns. There were no thistles. There was no death. There were no weeds. Everything was perfect until sin came. And when sin came, everything started to fall apart. But when Jesus comes again, guess what? It's all going to be restored. We are going to be, again, put into perfect, we're going to be made perfect, but also even creation will be restored to the time of Adam and Eve. And we're going to have a millennial kingdom, a thousand year reign on earth with him. And again, I don't have time to talk about that, but it's an awesome thing. Creation groans and labors, awaiting the day it will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have, have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, looking forward to the soon return of our Savior. You know, when we, when we are in love with the Lord and we're filled with His Spirit, we are excited and looking forward to His return. And sadly, I think that it's, it kind of gets swept under the rug sometimes in the church. Sometimes we're so focused on the world that we don't even think about the fact that Jesus could come back today. And there's a lack of urgency. And we need to have an urgency. How many of you have unsaved family members? Raise your hand. How many of you have unsaved neighbors? Raise your hand. Unsaved co-workers? Shouldn't there be an urgency? Every saved person this side of heaven should have a burden for every unsaved person this side of hell. Amen? And there should be an urgency, but that urgency is not going to be there if you think, oh, well, hey, we got all kinds. Well, we could have 50 years and we could have 50 minutes. Amen? And we need to live every day like it could be our last and understand the first fruits of the Spirit looking forward to the soon return of our Savior. Verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it, with perseverance. The fruit of the Spirit, this faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hoping, trusting, and waiting upon the Lord. Having an eternal perspective. Having peace and patience in your current circumstances because you're focused on the life outside of this one. Again, I've heard it said that someone's so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I haven't met that person yet. What I've met is a lot of people that are so earthly minded they're no heavenly good. Amen? People, oh, they're so heavenly minded. All they talk about is God. They're just no earthly good. I, I haven't met that person. I'd like to hang out with them, as a matter of fact, right? The reality is, though, that too often as Christians, we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. We're so focused on our careers and so focused on buying a new house and getting a new toy. And, do, and again, there's nothing wrong with having possessions as long as they don't possess you. Amen? They're all gods. Use them for His glory. But don't be so focused on getting more stuff right? Buying things you don't need to, you know, with money you don't have to impress people you don't know, right? And that's what happens, you know, credit card debt, and we're doing all this stuff to be, but again, we need to have a spiritual and eternal perspective, not a physical one. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know, but we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know what? We need to be praying a lot more like this. Amen? Just coming before God, and sometimes sometimes you come before God and you don't know what to pray. Amen? But you know what? I think sometimes we need to be just quiet in our prayer time. And we need to just, Lord, I don't even know what to pray for, but Lord is my heart. I give it to you. Lord, I don't even know what to say. And we just, from the depths of our hearts, give it away to the Lord. And too often we feel like we just got to keep talking. 
I think a lot of times we just need to be still before the creator of the universe. He knows your heart. Amen? Not a, he doesn't need to hear our words. And, we need, and I tell you, as we sit before him and we're still before him, again, prayer is an instrument to, for us to know the heart of God. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. As we pray, our hearts change and our hearts are more conformed to his. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who's interceding for us right now? Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Verse 28, if you haven't memorized this verse or underlined it in your Bible, get a pen out. Okay? And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. How do we have joy in the present? How do we keep from being fearful and anxious and worried about today? Romans 8.28. What does it say? And we know that all that some things, a few things, the things I like, now, all things work together for good for those who trust in God, for those who love God, and those who are called according to His purpose. So that means cancer works for His good. Yes. That means the, the loss of my job, a death in my family. Yes, yes, and yes. How's that possible? Eternal perspective. All things work together for good if our eyes are on heaven, if we're focused on eternity, if we're focused on the present, it's overwhelming when we lose out on things. All means all, not some. God has a good purpose for everything I experience. And this verse gives me such peace in the midst of trials and difficulty and times when I just don't get it. The Bible talks about having peace that surpasses all understanding, not peace that comes from understanding. Peace when it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't know how we're going to do it, but God, you know, and I trust you. That's faith. Amen? And that's when all, trusting that all things, when, when God says all things, He means it. He's faithful. He's in control. He's sovereign. I can trust Him. I don't need to question Him. And I'll tell you, just let it go. Amen? All things. Lord, you knew I was going to lose my job. You know I have four kids, and you know the bills are coming. But Lord, I trust you. And I'm going to be diligent because you want me to be, but Lord, I trust you. And that's when we get to watch God move. Amen? It's amidst of those difficulties that all things truly do work together for good. May we learn to rest in this verse that God is faithful. God is wise. God is in control. He loves me, and He knows what's best for me. Verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, if you're here this morning and you're a Calvinist, God bless you, we love you anyway, but here's the reality. This is not teaching Calvinism, all right? Whom he foreknew. Did God know everything before it happened? The answer is yes. God cannot learn or, know, or, or be taught anything because he's God, right? Do you know that he created time and space? You want a headache sometime? Think about that. Where was time before God? There wasn't any. Where was the space? There wasn't any. God created it. Uh, a headache, right? That's our God. He's outside of time, he's outside of space, and he knew everything long before it ever happened. Now, some people say, well, if God knew, then he must force you to choose, right? If he knew what was going to happen, then he must make you... That's limiting God to say the only way he could know is if he forced you to do it. You know what? God gives us free will, and he knows the choice we're going to make, because he's God, amen? And, And people say, oh, well, it's impossible. It's impossible for you. Right? Because you're a finite man. But it's not impossible for, for infinite God. Amen? 
He's so much greater than we think. We think God's awesome. He's way more awesome than that. Amen? He's way more powerful. He's way more wise. He's, way, he's just incredible. And people think, well, foreknew, then predestined. And predestined means, again, he knew beforehand. And what did he predestine us to? Read the rest of this verse. I want us to see it. We don't have time to go into Calvinism this morning. We're not going to do that. And some of you are going to leave the church after this anyway, but we love you, all right? But here's the reality. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what did he predestine those that he foreknew to? To be conformed to the image of his son. So those that he knew were going to respond to him, he predestined or preordained that they would be conformed to the image of his son. So those of us that he knew were were going to respond to his message of grace, we were going to respond to the calling of his Holy Spirit, he predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Does that make sense? Did anybody struggle with God being able to know the future and, have, and us have free will all at the same time? I'm baffled that people struggle with that. I don't get it. Our God is so great, amen? And we should not limit God. And when you start limiting God, you make God less than He is. If God only died for some, He's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says, For God so loved the elect, the few, the chosen, the what? The world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that if the elect... Fall, No, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Whosoever. It is his desire that none should perish. No, not one of the elect. Is that what it says? It says all. And so I want to just encourage you, hey, if you've struggled with that in the past, I'll be happy to sit down and talk to you anytime. But understand that when you start limiting the atonement, and you start saying that, that the people that follow God were forced to follow Him and had no free will, you're changing the God of the Bible. He's not a God of grace and love and mercy anymore. He's a God of strict judgment who punishes some without ever giving them an opportunity to know Him. That's not the God that I know. Amen? A lot of stuff in Romans 8, right? Word up. We could do a message on all these. We're going to finish, though. And God, you know, Chairs are hard. You'll stay awake. Verse 30. Whomever, moreover... Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Again, we respond to his calling. He calls us. We respond. When we respond, he justifies us, just as if we've never sinned. Once we've been justified, it says we've been glorified. Now, when do we get glorified? When we get where? To heaven. But it says here we've been glorified. Why? Because in God's eyes, it's already happened. He sees the beginning from the end. We should not struggle with the fact that God is in control and He knows all, including the future. Last few verses here. I want us to see this. Verse 31. I want you to see God's love. Let's end with this, because He is a great and an awesome God. What then shall we say to to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, I'll tell you what. Underline that verse. Because... In dealing with the future, if you're struggling with the future, if you're anxious about the future, if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know that God is for you this morning? He's for you. He's on your side. He loves you. You're His child. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are always on His mind. You are His treasured possession. He would rather die than live without you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Devil's toast, right? The world, man, whatever. God is faithful and God is greater than all of it. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And praise God. And we ought to be 
saying some hallelujahs or something, amen? I mean, because God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? You know what? I didn't fully understand, or, uh, and again, just a few more minutes here, bear, witness, bear with me. But I want you to see this. You know what? I didn't fully grasp this until I became a dad. And it says here, that, look what it says. How much does He love you? What do you determine, how do you determine the value of something? By what was paid for it. How much does God love you? This much. Amen? He sent His Son. I think about some of you just had babies. Imagine giving your baby for us. I think some moms are like, I don't think so. <laughs> Ain't going to happen, right? And I think about myself, that when my kids would suffer when they were little, They'd be sick or they'd have a fever or they'd be listless or have ear infections or be hurting or crying. Man, it would just kill me. I would just want to take the pain away from them. Can't I just have it? I remember when I found out, this is hard for me, when I found out my three-year-old son at the time had been struggling and he was almost legally blind, his vision was so bad, and we didn't find out until he was three. It still kills me to think that he was walking around and he couldn't see and all he needed was some glasses. And it just tears my heart out because I'm a dad. And I just love my kids so much. And I don't want to see them hurt. Imagine the father letting the son suffer the way that he did for you. How much does God love you? That he would let his son suffer that way. What a great God we serve, amen? He loves you so incredibly much. He loves to give you what is good. He loves to do what is best for you. We cannot even begin to understand the depth of His love. And if we started to, we would never run away from Him again. If we truly understood how much He loves us, we wouldn't hide from Him. him. We wouldn't run from Him. We wouldn't rebel against Him. We would realize, man, He loves me. And when I blow it, He just wants me to come and say, Dad, forgive me. And you know what He'll do? He'll just say, get in my lap. Amen? You can take a million steps away from God. It's one step back. Amen? He's always right there. You know what? Our future is secure because He's our dad. And He loves us. And He's promised us heaven. And He'll never, ever leave us nor forsake us. Last few verses. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of the sword? As it is written, for for your sake we are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep led to the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Guys, when you go through difficulty, don't run from God, run to Him. Amen? Don't walk away from God. Go and know that He loves you and he wants, to, he wants to hold you in His hand in the midst of the storm. Sometimes He calms the storm and other times He calms His child. You ever heard that song? And when the storm kicks up, we just need to turn to Him and get our eyes on Jesus and know that He loves us and He's faithful. What a great and awesome God He is. Last two verses. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. 
Nothing. You know the only thing that breaks fellowship with God is us walking away from Him in rebellion and saying, I don't want to be with you right now. Do you know He'll never leave you nor forsake you? He loves you so much. So in review, in dealing with our past, guys, we're no longer condemned. Amen? There's therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to deal with the past anymore. Been dealt with right here. Amen? As far as the present is concerned, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You're going through difficulty right now. God's in control. He's sovereign. He knows what's best for you. What about your future? If God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. We've got the promise of heaven. You know what? We should not fear. We should not be anxious. We should not worry. Why? Because our past is redeemed. Our present is secure. And our future is an incredible hope that we long for one day we're going to be in His presence. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We thank You, Lord, that all things truly do work together for good for those who are called according to Your purpose, those who love You. And we thank You that since You are for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from Your love. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who does not know you, who's never given their life to you, Lord, I just pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you just soften their heart and open their eyes to their need for you. That, again, you say in your word, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. We're all sinners. We've got a sin problem. But we thank you that you took all of the sin of mankind upon yourself and all we... All we must do is simply ask you to forgive us. As every head is bowed and Christians be praying for the unbelievers who may be here. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never truly known what it means to be a Christian, and this morning the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you through His Word, and you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven. You want to know that there is no condemnation for you anymore either. You want to know that the Lord dwells with you and that He'll never leave you and that all things will work together for good. I'm going to ask you just to do something real simple. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray a real simple prayer with you. And the prayer is just going to be confessing your sin and asking Jesus to be your Savior. And you can know for sure before you walk out of here, you're going to heaven. If there's anybody here at all, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are. The Lord loves you. Don't leave here without, you, without Him. He brought you here by divine appointment. Anybody at all? God bless you, bro. Anybody else? He loves you so very much. Don't leave earth without Him. Amen? Let's so all pray together for this one to raise his hand. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we confess that we are sinners. We ask you to forgive us for our sin. To make us new creations. To fill us with your Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he died on the cross. That he rose from the dead that he's coming back. I believe that by confessing my sin, you have forgiven me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, one more thing. I want to pray one more time. Heads bowed again. If you're here today, and maybe as we were praying, and maybe you have not been walking with the Lord, maybe you've been struggling 
it is a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. If you want to walk out of here with your relationship right with God, back where it needs to be, you know what? He loves you and he desires us to reach out. And, and you can just say, Daddy, this morning and crawl back up into his lap and restore that relationship. If that's your heart this morning, I just want you to raise your hand and I will pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless your hands all over. God bless you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for these with their hands up, Lord. And I thank you for the move of your spirit in their lives as well. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, that when we've blown it and we've walked away, Lord, that you're right there desiring to have that fellowship restored once again. So, Lord, for each of these that have raised their hands, Lord, I pray the Lord, you would restore that fellowship through the brokenness and them coming to you with confessing hearts. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them, the Lord, as they draw near to you. I pray, Lord, you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon each one of them. Help them, Lord, to walk in the fullness of your Spirit. Lord, to pursue you with their whole hearts. Lord, to make you the priority of their lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you again for your love and your grace. We thank you for the promise of heaven. We can't wait to get there. But until we get there, Lord, help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close a worship song.